Thank you for listening to the Streams Church Weekly Sermon Podcast. We are a community that strives to know Jesus and make Him known. If you like our podcast, subscribe and leave us a great rating on Apple Podcasts. Thank you, and we hope you enjoy. I'd like it to be one of those. I remember the summer of fun. So anyway, and it starts today, next week. The stream summer of fun. Back in 21. Sort of rhymes, doesn't it, right? There might be songs written about that. You don't know. You never know. Jackie, would you write a song about the summer of fun? Sure. Yeah. What genre would that be? Folk, folk to sort of a folk thing? Okay, summer, summer, yeah. I think it'd be like a folk song, like a little, like what is a folk song? Uh, hey, we're in a series. It's me. I'm here. I've got my Bible. I've got my notes. I've got my cup, and I got my sippy straw that my daughter bought me. She's a medical professional. <laughs> she goes, here, this will help you with your neck. You don't have to do this with your water. See, she's, that's why she makes the big money right there. <laughs> it's like sippy straws are the answer for everything. Right? So anyway. All right. Series. The Covenant God. We've been talking about the God of the Covenant. And the Covenant in the ancient world was a, uh, what we would call in the modern world, a contract or a will. And God decided he chose to make a covenant God with us. And so as we looked at the first covenant, um, what is a covenant we're going to show? This is what a covenant does. It establishes the basis of a relationship the conditions for the relationships, the promises of the relationship, and times the consequences of the relationship. And the first covenant we looked at in the last couple of weeks was the Edenic covenant, the covenant that was made with mankind when mankind was created in the Garden of Eden. And this is the parts that says that God made us in his image. No other creation was made in the image of God, just us. He gave us the ability to reproduce and fill the earth, that we were to rule over the entire planet, the fish, the birds, the trees, etc. He placed this in the Garden of Eden to take care of it, but it was a covenant, like all covenants usually are, a covenant with a choice. And unfortunately, that choice was, was not to eat the fruit of this one tree, the tree of good and not, uh, evil. And Adam and Eve did it. And what happened in that moment, we're going to talk about this today, what happened in that moment, if before that moment there was an innocence they knew about everything, whether it was intimacy, uh, sexual intimacy, how to live, how to grow, everything was, was innocent. They knew the extreme good of just those moments, of being a man and a wife and living in a land that was perfect. And when they ate the tree, this, the openness of what could happen across the board, the good and the evil, their mind and their hearts were open to that. And God knew at that moment that man would die, and he never intended man to die. And so there was a curse that when you opened it up, all kinds of things will happen. And so it was, it was conditional in one way that if you eat of this tree, this, this, this whole world will open up. But it was unconditional in the sense that God says, I will have uh, a relationship with my created beings and it will be this Eden concept, and it will happen again one day. But that door that was opened up, of um, li- he chose wrong, and literally, literally, hell broke out all over the earth. And so we were called by God to rule over the earth. And in sin, Adam relinquished the ruling of the earth to Satan. And when Jesus was temple, tempted, we know this because... When Jesus was tempted, the devil took him to the peak of a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms 
of the world in their glory. And he goes, I will give it all to you. He said, if you'll kneel down and worship me. And so this world was given over. And one day we know, right, the armies of the Lord will come back and create a new heaven and a new earth. So that's where we're at. So the second part of the Eden covenant was the curse of sin. And women will have hard deliveries, and it was never meant to be that way. And if you're in labor, don't use the Lord's name in vain. It's not his fault. You, you can use Adam's name in vain, but you can't, you can't use the Lord's name in vain, okay? Um, I'm just, just putting that out there. Um, so today we're going to talk about the second covenant. So allow me to set it up. Um, Genesis chapter 5, if you want to turn there. So this is a time from Adam to Noah. I'm just going to read parts of it. So here we go. When Adam had lived 130 years, he had a son in his own likeness, in his own image, and he named him Seth. So Adam had Seth. And Adam lived a total of 930 years, and then he died. You don't read it here. We find out later on that the Lord sort of restricted that down quite a bit. But in the beginning, they needed to have long lives and a lot of kids because they had to get the ball rolling, filling the earth. So, so Adam was 930 years. So then when Seth had lived 105 years, he, he became the father of Enosh. And he lived to be 912 years old. And then when Enosh lived 90 years, he became the father of Kenan. And he lived 905 years. Now, Kenan had lived 70 years, he became the father of Mahalalel. Mahalalel. And uh, Mahalalel uh, was born, and then Kenan was 910. Now, Mahalalel was 65 years, which is a really young father. 65 years old, he became the father of Jared, and then he died a very young age compared to everybody else. He died at the age of 895 years. Like, wow, his life was really cut short. <laughs> I'm saying he just he didn't quite make the 900 mark. <laughs> And so then Jared lived 162 years and had Enoch. Enoch, uh, Jared, you know, it goes on and it goes on. And uh, finally, we get down to verse 28 of all these people. It's when Lamech had lived 182 years old, he had a son. Listen to this. He named him Noah and said, he will comfort us in the labor and painful toil of our hands Caused by the ground the Lord had cursed. His father thought that Noah would be the one that would reverse the curse that was caused by sin. And after that, Noah was born. And so when Noah was 500 years old, he became a father. And then what we see as you're going along, it's 1,656 years after creation, after Adam. And we find the world in a unique place. And the scripture says this in chapter 6, in the 1600 years, this is where it had come from Eden. It said, the Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become in the earth and that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. And the Lord regretted that he had made human beings on the earth. And his heart was deeply troubled so the Lord said, I will wipe from the face of the earth the human race I've created, and with them the animals and the birds and the creatures that move along the ground, for I regret that I've made them. It's an interesting scripture theologically. It's really interesting because it almost seems like that God comes to this place 
um, where he knew it could happen, never wanted it to happen, and then it happened. And he almost seemed surprised, if you will, that it happened. And then he regrets that he had ever made mankind. But yet he's got this covenant, but he regrets it. Um, and he was deeply, the scripture says, he was deeply troubled in his spirit. He had an emotional reaction when he sees how deep and dark man could go. And these are the things I would say about that. Even though he knew right, what could happen, what would happen, there's a big difference between knowing it and seeing it happen. I mean, knowing that your children could disobey to this extreme, let's say. Maybe they get caught up into drugs. Knowing that and then seeing your child go through that, I don't care who you are. If you're a parent, that evokes an emotion. And so God knew the depths of what evil could happen because that's what Adam sinned. He knew there was the depths. He knew mankind would get there. But seeing it, seeing it triggered this emotion in God that he regretted when he sees what, what men and women could do to innocent people. I mean, I, I think some parents have seen that here. You've seen your children go to the depths. And man, the emotions that he evokes. The other thing I see in the scripture is God, not, God is not obtuse and he's not indifferent to the evil on this world. Like, it's not like he's sitting up there and just good luck with that, or you made the choice. His heart is moved by that, even today. And evil one day will always be punished. They won't get away with it. But there's two problems now with where God is at in this. It is, first, he's a covenant God. He is, his covenant will be established. And second, he finds one man, one man that fits the idea of what he was talking about. And verse 8 says, But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. So there's this one guy. He's looking at the earth and he says, I should just wipe them out. But there's one man who fits the bill. Isn't it interesting that Noah's father named him that because he thought he would reverse the curse of the ground. But there's this one man. So God has this unconditional promise to mankind. He made his covenant with Adam. He sees Noah, a man who is righteous. Um, and so God decides to do a reboot. That's what this whole thing is about. I'm just going to do a reboot and start all over with this guy. And it's interesting that we see uh, in the scriptures that, and I want you to hold on to this thought we're going to get back to later on, that Noah's family was saved because of Noah's righteousness. They get to go in the boat with him. And so then the Lord told Noah, there's going to be a floody floody. And he told Noah to build an arky arky with gopher barky barky, right, yeah. And the animals came. You ever sing that song? Okay, some of us did. And the animals came in by twosies, twosies, elephants and kangaroosies, roosies. And then it poured for 40 daisy daisies and almost drove the animals crazy. The sun came out and dried the landy landy. And everything was fine and dandy dandy. So rise and shine and give God the glory. Children of the Lord. This is the song we sang when we were, in, we were in children's church so we could remember about the, the ark and Noah. Not that we had to because I had... Did anybody have a little animal, a little ark, and you had little animals to play with? I had one of these little ark things and the animals were there. So I remembered it really well. I didn't need the song, but the song does help. And maybe we can introduce that to the youth group. Um, or... <laughs> 
You'll never forget it. It gets stuck in your head. It just goes like a record. It just keeps playing. Um, and so here's where we're at in uh, Genesis, finally. Um, uh, Genesis 9. Finally, they come out, and, and God makes this new covenant with Noah. Then God said to Noah, verse 8, and his sons with him, I now, after this reboot, I now establish my covenant with you and with your descendants after you. If you read the scriptures before this, he tells them the same thing he told Adam. You'll rule over the earth. You're to fill the earth. And then he finally says this, and God said to Noah and to his sons with him, I now establish my covenant with you and with your descendants after you and with every living creature that was with you, the birds, the livestock, and all the wild animals, all that came out of the ark with you, every living creature on earth. It's a reboot of everything. I establish my covenant with you. Never again, this is the new covenant, will I um, all life be destroyed by the waters of the flood. Never again will there be a flood to destroy the earth. And God said, this is a sign of the covenant I'm making between me and you and every living creature with you, a covenant for all generations to come. I've set my rainbow in the clouds and it will be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. Whenever I bring clouds over the earth and the rainbow appears in the clouds, it's such a beautiful remembrance. I will remember my covenant between me and you and all living creatures of every kind. Never again will the waters become a flood to destroy all life. Whenever the rainbow appears in the clouds, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and all the living creatures of every kind. So God said to Noah, this is the sign of the covenant I have established between me and all the life in the earth. So here's a new covenant that God is making with mankind. And of course, we know God does the reboot. He gets the new family that's righteous. And from that point on, there's never an evil thing that ever happens again. Amen. We wish, right? I mean, it's not, I mean, that's chapter 9. Chapter 19 is the story of Sodom and Gomorrah. And, and without going into too, too much detail, the depravity that's there, that when two visitors come, that all the men of the city, it's socially accepted that they can come in and have a night of debauchery with these visitors. I mean, it, it's, it's socially accepted in that city that that would be allowed. And um, it's disappointing and it's disgusting that it would come to that place. And so the question we have today, I think the question on all of our minds right now, maybe you've even doubted, does God keep his promises? Can God keep his covenant even in the midst of depravity, in the sickness of this world, that all the things, um, if you're waiting for it to get better, <laughs> I've got sort of bad news for you. It doesn't. And the Bible talks about it. And um, just to preface this, we're going to talk about, there's scriptures all through the scriptures about in the last days. And I, th I think when you and I think about the last days, we probably think like four or five days or a couple weeks, maybe a couple years. When the scripture talks about the last days, of course, we talked about this a couple weeks. Heaven's time is not our time. It's an error or a time of, of the world's existence or our existence. So this era that we're in. And so on the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit fell, at that moment, 
the apostles got up and said in Joel 2.28, it says in the last days, the spirit will fall upon man and your young men and women will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. And it goes into this, uh, this whole thing. And we're still in that era. The Holy Spirit still comes upon us. And we have prophecy and dreams. And that moment that started then, we're still in that age of that era. So when you see in the scriptures in the last days, it's during this period of time that we're talking about. Now, Jesus talked about the last days. Paul talked about the last days. Matthew 24, verses 3 through 14. I'm going to read from the NLT version. Um, But later, Jesus said on the Mount of Olives, his disciples came to him privately and said, Tell us when all this will happen the last days. What will be the signal for your return and the end of the world? And Jesus told them, Don't let anyone mislead you, for many will come in my name, claiming I am the Messiah. They will deceive many, and you'll hear of wars and threats of wars. But don't panic. Yes, these things must take place. But the end won't follow immediately. Nation will go to war against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in many parts of the world. But all of this is only the first of the birth pains with more to come. I would say that during the 1900s, we probably saw a lot of this going on right here. Wars and rumors of war to kingdom against kingdom. Uh, earthquakes, we've seen that in the last couple of years. But that's just, the, that's just the labor pains. That's just like, honey, I'm going into labor. That's just that part of it, okay? It's not the Then... <laughs> You will be arrested, persecuted, and killed. You will be hated all over the world because you're my followers. And many will turn away from me and betray and hate each other. And many false prophets will appear and will deceive many people. Listen, sin will be rampant everywhere. And the love of many will grow cold. But... The one who endures to the end will be saved, and the good news about the kingdom will be preached throughout the whole world so all the nations will hear it, and then the end will come. It's going to be crazy madness. Sin is going to be rampant, but God's covenant doesn't go away. Those who endure to the end will be saved. The gospel will be preached throughout the entire world. And then the end will come. And I think all the denominations should just together and just be really strategic. Just send out everybody to every part of the world. Let's get this thing over with. Like, we'll just, I got 50, we'll go here. You know, we'll just take that on. But the last days, wars and rumors of wars and famines and earthquakes. And um, that's just the birth pains. And then we're going to be arrested and persecuted and killed and hated all over the world. Um, Many will turn away and betray and hate each other in the kingdom. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. Even in the midst of total depravity, my covenant endures. My people will survive. My gospel will be preached. Now, Paul says this to Timothy. It's his last book he writes in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 5. He said, you should know this, Timothy, that in the last days, there will be very difficult times. For people will love only themselves and their money. They will be boastful and proud scoffing at God, disobedient to their parents, and ungrateful. They will consider nothing sacred. They will be unloving and unforgiving. 
They will slander others and have no self-control. They will be cruel and hate what is good. They will betray their friends, be reckless, be puffed up with pride, and love pleasure rather than God. They will act religious, but they will reject the power that could make them godly. Timothy, stay away from people like this. In the last days, Paul is saying, this is what's going to happen. And Jesus says, if you're living in the last days, it will be a world of depravity. So don't freak out. I'm letting you know about this, right? Paul is saying when this happens, Timothy, don't freak out. I'm telling you what's about to happen. God's covenant is not put aside when the choices of mankind become sickness and sin and depravity. God's covenant is always true. And it's interesting, I was reading the scriptures, I actually filled with some hope. Like, it's a mess, but God told us it was going to be a mess. And um, it's going to be okay. So now, this is where I really want to get to today. So that's sort of good news that it's going to be okay. So how do we respond to all the sickness and depravity in the world as followers of Jesus? There are two prophecies, it's really interesting, Isaiah and Joel. Remember, Joel prophesied in the last days the Holy Spirit will fall upon mankind. Joel is one prophecy. So as you read the book of Joel, he just starts and goes. So there's a bit of an understanding that there's some chronological ideas in this. So he prophesies chapter 2 that the Holy Spirit will fall. And then chapter 3, he says, um, uh, um, Joel says this, Say to the nations far and wide, get ready for war. Call out your best warriors. Let all your fighting men advance for the attack. Hammer your plowshares, your farming equipment into swords, and your pruning hooks into spears. Train even your weaklings to be warriors. Come quickly, all you nations everywhere, gather together in the valley. So he's talking about in the last days, the response should be war. Now you get to Isaiah in chapter 2. He says in the last days, verses 2 through 4, the mountain of the Lord's house will be the highest of all the most important place on earth. It will be raised above other hills, and people from all of the world will stream there to worship. People from many nations will come and say, Come, let us go to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of Jacob's God. There he will teach us his ways, and we will walk in his paths. For the Lord's teaching will go out from Zion. His word will go out from Jerusalem. The Lord will mediate between nations and will settle international disputes. Listen to this. They will hammer their swords into plowshares. Just the opposite. And their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will no longer fight against nation, nor toil for war anymore. So the question is, should we be taking our farming equipment and turning them into weapons? Or should we be taking our weapons and turning them into farming equipment? Or is these scriptures conflicting? (laughs) Right? What do we do? Do we melt down? Um, our pruning shears and make them into knives? Or do we choose to be agents of peace and grace and love in a world of sickness? So other people think this might be in conflict, these two scriptures. But this is what I would like to say to you. In the last days, there's a long period of time, and they coexist in this situation. When we personally feel the need to rise up against sickness and sin and depravity around us, we need to realize that God is faithful and he will raise up his servants. Now listen to this scripture in Romans chapter 13. 
Everyone must submit to governing authorities, for all authority comes from God, and those in positions of authority have been placed there by God. So anyone who rebels against authority is rebelling against what God has instituted, and they will be punished. For the authorities do not strike fear in people who are doing what is right, but in those who are doing what is wrong. Would you like to live without fear of the authorities? Do what is right, and they will honor you. The authorities that are God's servants, they're God's servants, sent for your good. But if you're doing wrong, of course, you should be afraid, for they have the power to punish you. Listen to this. They are God's servants, sent for the very purpose of punishing those who do what is wrong. So you must submit to them, not only to avoid punishment, but also to keep a clear conscience. So God says, I have an answer to the depravity in the world because it, it moves his heart, right? When people are abusing the innocent, it moves his heart. So he says, I have some servants that I raise up from time to time in authority. And if you're not going to live and do the right thing because it's the right thing and because of love and good, then you're going to do it out of fear. Because I will raise up the ones that will punish the ones that need to be punished. So God says, I will do that. I will raise up my servants. December 7th this year will be the 80th anniversary of the bombing of Pearl Harbor. 80 years. And during that time, America didn't really want to enter into the war. World War I had taken such a toll. We were just sort of sitting back and said, we'll let Europe do their thing. We'll let Asia do their thing. And we'll just be neutral. But on that day, uh, the Japanese commander, one of the ships, said, I'm afraid that the only thing that we have done is awaken, right, a giant. And that's what happened. And God raised up, I believe with all my heart, his servants in the United States of America. And he had already taught Henry Ford how to mass produce vehicles. And so we were set up and ready to produce more vehicles and tanks and planes, tens and thousands to one, so that we could put evil and suppress it. See, God raised up, and the USA took the sword that God gave to us to help protect those who were being taken advantage of and hurt by the depravity that we live in. We now have a Supreme Court that leans uh, towards pro-life, and I'm so grateful for that. You know, servants, I believe, they've been raised up to protect the innocent, those with no voice. But there's still a lot of abortions that are happening, even though the court leans that way. Thank God they've stopped the train, I believe. But we have to ask ourselves as believers, as the church, is it in the best interest to trade our farming equipment for swords and to go to war? Or is it in our best interest to turn our swords into instruments of planting and reaping righteousness, peace, holiness, and love? God raised them up to take care of that. Is it in our best interest to change the hearts of young men and young women through the preaching of the love of Christ by being examples of what a family looks like, by having great youth groups so that young people will stay pure and they'll respect each other, they'll wait, and then when they get married, they will welcome little ones into the world as a precious gift of God. See, both are working. We act like this isn't supposed to happen in this world. We act like we're surprised. We act like God is not in control. 
But that's not the case. He knew it was going to happen. He told us, be prepared. In the last days, there will be an, an increase of depravity. And understand, just like God, during the Noah's days, knowing and seeing that there are two different things, and rightfully so, it evokes emotions in God, and so it does with us. But the question is, do we trust God to keep his covenant and to deal with it? Even when the world's that bad. And of course, my answer is yes. There will be a day that we'll return to that original covenant for mankind. And that day, he will separate the goats from the sheep. And that day, when that comes, we will be in that same place. And he set a rainbow to remind us that we will get there, that he will never wipe out the earth again. Let me go back to 2 Timothy. And after Paul tells Timothy, all these bad things are going to happen, he gives him the answer, 2 Timothy 3, 14 through 17. But you, he says to Timothy, you, knowing all this, must remain faithful to the things you've been taught. You know they are true, for you know you can trust those who taught you. You've been taught the Holy Scriptures from childhood, and they give you wisdom to receive the salvation that comes by trusting in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. This is the guiding principles for holiness and righteousness in this world. It tells us about the salvation of Christ, how he gave his life for us. And it tells us how to navigate this world. I was talking to somebody recently, they go, well, you know, the church really got that wrong. And I go, well, you know what? <laughs> Just say the Bible got that wrong, if that's what you're going to say, because it's right here in the scriptures I can show you. And they don't want to say the Bible got it wrong. They're a little afraid of that. But this is our guide. In the midst of all the things that are going on and the questions that happen in the world, when we get confused, we can go back to God's word and it will navigate us through this difficult time. It's easy to get sort of depressed when I have a message like this, right? Like, thank you, Pastor Lloyd. Now let me get back out there again. But we know, we know the end of this whole thing. We know it's supposed to be this way. And we know that if we endure by trusting the word of God, the covenant of God will be established in our life. What a powerful promise. Now, I want to I finish up something I said. I'm going to tie up a loose end. And the Lord spoke this to me as, we were, as I was preparing this message. I mentioned that Noah's family was saved because of the righteousness of Noah. So everybody in Noah's boat, if you will, got saved. There's another story about a group of people on a boat in the midst of the storm. You're like, I know where you're going. I don't think you do. It's Acts 27. And Paul is a prisoner, and he's forced on this boat. And as he's forcing his boat to take him somewhere, he warns the captain not to sail because there's a violent storm coming, like just this massive storm. And the captain doesn't listen to him. So they get out there in the middle of this violent storm. They're throwing everything overboard, even the food to try to save their lives and to survive this terrible storm. 
And then in Acts chapter 27, verse 21, Paul speaks to them. After they had gone a long time without food, Paul stood up before them and said, Men, you should have taken my advice not to sell from Crete. Then you have spared yourselves this damage and this loss. But now I urge you to keep up your courage because not one of you will be lost. Only the ship will be destroyed. Last night, the angel of God to whom I belong and to whom I serve stood beside me and said, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand trial before Caesar. And God has graciously given you the lives of all who sail with you. So keep up your courage, men, for I have faith in God that it will happen just as he told me. And the story goes on that they actually get shipwrecked on it, and everyone survives. And as I was thinking about this, and I was thinking about you, and the Lord was speaking to me in my heart, I believe with all my heart there are those you love, there are people that are in your family, and the Lord's speaking that because of your righteousness, right, what could have happened to them has been kept at bay. The storm that could have crushed their life has been hold, held back because of your heart and your righteousness and you standing with your family. I really believe that right now. Grandmas who pray, parents who pray, you're walking in faith and believing. And I absolutely believe right now there, there, there are some who are even doubt right now. You, you're looking at your child like God looked at the people in Noah's time, and it's breaking your heart. But they're part of your lineage. They're part of your family. And God is going to spare them and bring him to salvation because of your righteousness. Because they're in the boat with you. And if that's you, I just want you to receive that word right now from the Lord. Noah's family was saved. The people, it's just, isn't it an interesting concept that we get to embrace the ones that are around us and pray them and, and keep them at bay. And you say, well, you don't know how bad it's got, how bad, how bad it's got, but I know how bad it could have gotten more probably, you know, how far it could have went. And so the Lord's there to help and pray. In this world that is a mess, in this world of depravity, we know that we have a Savior that will save us now and will save us in the future. We have the faith in the covenant that God has made for us that he will have a people. They will be in relationship. And one day we will be returned to that Eden, new heaven, new earth. I want to pray for you. If you'll stand with me. It was a different message as I was studying. You're going like, yeah, it was a different message. But I got hope as I was praying through it and uh, believing um, for you and your family members. And the fact that you're right here right now today, the Lord is maybe calling you into a deeper sense of righteousness and holiness and obedience to the word of God. That is the course that, that helps you navigate this, the rough seas right now. So today, Lord, we thank you that you are a holy God and a righteous God. And we know that your heart is moved by the sickness and the evil of the world. And we know you will raise up servants that can take care of that. But today we choose to be people of peace and love and grace. 
people of conviction in the Word of God that will speak truth to our loved ones in a way, give us words of wisdom and how to speak it in a way that will resound with their heart. And I thank you today that, that you have made the promise, Lord, as you did with Noah, as you did with Paul, as you're doing with many people today, that, that don't fret, don't worry. Because of your righteousness, they will be saved. And I thank you for that. And I receive that in Jesus' name. I do.
For listening to our sermon. If you want to know more about us, you can find us at streamschurch.org or on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. And if you enjoyed this content, subscribe and leave us a rating on Apple Podcasts. Till next time, have a great week.